Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, airlines begin cutting their fleets in earnest, Latin America's biggest carrier heads into restructuring, and Asian operators grapple with how to kickstart their services. My name's Graham Dunn, and welcome to a special Round the Regions airline business podcast, where I'm joined by Flight Global reporters to look at some of the biggest airline stories playing out across the globe. In Europe, while the focus for many remains around securing emergency bailouts or fresh investments to ride out the crisis, details are starting to emerge about how airlines are cutting back their fleets in line with the likely lower demand. The biggest of these, quite literally, was the news that Air France is to immediately retire its fleet of Airbus A380s. Joining me is um, Kingsley Jones, and that Air France announcement was really pretty significant. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a shock in a way because they've taken a decision relatively early on, actually, in the in the kind of uh, crisis created by coronavirus to uh, to just basically abandon the A380 completely. Now, obviously, the 380 being a, the biggest airliner in service has been affected across all the fleets, and, and they've all pretty much gone into storage. But there's been no suggestion from other operators that they're going to abandon the aircraft altogether. They certainly are planning to come back with maybe a, a smaller fleet. But Air France has basically said we've, we, we won't be returning the aeroplane to service. So the the nine aeroplanes it was operating just before it uh, grounded the fleet, along with a lot of other aircraft, um, have flown their last services for Air France. Whether they resurface somewhere else, we'll, we'll wait and see. European carriers have probably been, they've probably said more than most airlines about the aircraft that they are looking to retire or take out. And I guess, you know, that's with with the not foreseeing travel returning to 2019 levels for two, three, maybe four years, we are going to be seeing smaller fleets among those European operators. Yes, the airlines have been quite open, certainly the Lufthansa Group and uh, Virgin Atlantic, Air France KLM have all been quite open about what they're doing with their fleets. Uh, IAG has intimated that it's going to do um, some fundamental things when the fleets are re- restored, when the, re- when the recovery begins, but they're, they're still working on the plan, they say, so we'll see what happens there. But we think the 747 will probably be, a, a British Airways will be a victim, certainly in some shape or form. But at Lufthansa, we've heard quite a lot of information about the changes to their, their single aisle fleet there. The A380 will be affected, but uh, they are going to bring some of the aircraft back and uh, Virgin Atlantic as well. But in Asia, where we think there will be an impact, it's really only Singapore Airlines that have given any detail about what they're doing and their 777 Classic fleet has been effectively retired with immediate effect and their A330s will be going. But the A380s, uh, which are currently grounded, we're still not clear with how many of those will come back, if not all of them. And for airlines, what's the, the kind of choice they have in terms of managing that fleet? I guess that's a mix of maybe deferring new aircraft coming in and tiring sort of the older types. Would that be their main weapons? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting situation because we have a very low fuel price at the moment. So if you look at it from a purely from a bean counter perspective, you've got these written down aeroplanes. If, if they're not in need of heavy maintenance check, it may make sense to bring those aircraft back because they would be... The, their lack of efficiency by today's standards wouldn't really hamper their costs as much as they would if in a high oil environment. The other driver here may be financing. If, if some of the carriers can't get financing to take delivery of new aircraft, they may be forced to look to return their older aircraft to service. However, the big question here is around the environment, the, the E-word, and the world has changed a lot since last the last crisis. So 
there will be pressure on the airlines to stick to their guns and continue with their fleet renewals, bringing in new aircraft, not putting back into service the old oil burners, which uh, obviously don't do anything to help the reputation of uh, the industry amongst the um, the green movement. And they need to stick to their guns on that, I think. So there'll be pressure there, but it may well come down to financing that uh, affects their, certainly the short to medium term strategy. Are there any sort of particular types of aircraft or, or um, age of aircraft that you think might be in the sights when it comes to uh, cutting fleets? Well, certainly anything that's sort of over nine or 10 years old will be affected. Um, they're, the, they're the ones that are in the line of fire. You could pretty much write off the really old aeroplanes that are over 16, 17 years old because many of those will have quite high maintenance bills. So they'll be the, the first casualties. But the area which will be of concern to anyone who's got portfolios, particularly the leasing businesses, is the midlife aircraft, which is sort of defined as the nine to 16 year old aircraft. And there's a lot of those aeroplanes around uh, in the single aisle sector. There's sort of almost 5,000 midlife aircraft in airline service, or there were, they were in airline service until a few months ago, and, uh, and over 600 wide bodies. And those aircraft still had pretty good values. But if some of those start to um, to go straight to recycling or hopefully to cargo roll, then uh, that will obviously have an impact on, on the fleets and have an impact on the values. But we, we're still not, sh- not sure exactly how those scenarios will play out. There's one school of thought that thinks they will potentially be quite popular because they are relatively efficient and they can do a job of a modern aeroplane pretty easily. And others think that uh, that they will take the hit as airlines continue to take delivery of some new aircraft. A lot of it would depend on what the manufacturers do in terms of delivering new wide bodies and new single aisle aircraft from their factories. And I guess just lastly on the, the big airframers and manufacturers, the, the, obviously their production rates have gone down during this crisis period. Is there any sign of when some levels of normality or restoration may return? Uh, it's a great question and not one I could give an easy answer to. Uh, there's been some issues around production from the impact of the vi- of the virus on factories and on workers. So there's that aspect of it, which is, has obviously impacted production. There's been an, an impact from the ability of of customers, be they airlines or leasing companies, to get to the production plants to take delivery with some of the quarantines that are in place. So that that plays into the scenario. Then there's the fact that there's an absolute collapse in demand for air travel, which is also playing into the, the thinking of the airlines. And so uh, there will be a, an effort to defer aircraft. But obviously, airplanes that have been built and painted and equipped and sitting on the lineups at uh, Airbus and Boeing's factories uh, will be uh, ready to go and, and the, those the OEMs will be very keen to, to take the money for those and there will be pressure to continue with delivery. In fact, British Airways took delivery of a brand new A350 about a week ago from Toulouse and it's due to take its first 787-10 from uh, Boeing and Charleston any day now. So some of these deliveries will continue but the volume will depend on the ability for financing the, the deliveries and the appetite that airlines have. Max, thanks for your time. Flight Global has launched a series of webinars featuring leading industry executives and analysts from around the world to dissect how different parts of the aviation sector are navigating the coronavirus crisis. Listen to these on demand at flightglobal.com forward slash webinar. Asia Pacific was, of course, the first region to feel the impact of coronavirus, and some of its markets have been the first to begin opening up. Joining me down the line from Singapore is Flight Global's Asia-Pacific editor, Greg Waldron. Greg, I guess it's fair to say it's still a pretty mixed picture out there. Yeah, it certainly is, Graham. As you mentioned, we were the first hit. And of course, the first place where air traffic suffered was uh, China. 
But now China's domestic market is, you know, sort of coming out of the woods because of the lifting of the coronavirus there. But of course, they've had a few other lockdowns there that have resulting from more cases. Vietnam's domestic market is opening up as well. But other countries, it's a real mixed bag. You know, India's, they tried to open flights a few days ago, but it's been a very messy thing. A lot of flight cancellations, a lot of people stuck at the airport. And then even countries that are typically known as like the real transportation hubs of the region, such as Singapore, still remain in um, basically a lockdown situation. So Singapore and Hong Kong will start allowing some transit traffic coming in June. But it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of people in, you know, um, uh, protective clothing, taking temperatures, wearing a mask. You're only in very specific parts of the airport. So it's certainly a ways to go before we see the traffic picking up in any, any big way. And I guess for someone like Singapore, it's uh, a good example, isn't it? Uh, somewhere like China or India, you have these large domestic markets, which you can obviously see beginning um, the opening up of traffic. But Singapore, because it's so central to transit traffic and international traffic, I guess, you know, it looks like a longer journey for them. It certainly will be. Countries like, say, Singapore are really going to miss the first stage of air traffic rebirth, if you will. You know, that's going to start first in domestic markets like Vietnam, you know, Thailand, China, Korea. Whereas Singapore, by definition, every flight you take out of here is international. So they're going to completely miss that opportunity. I mean, of course, Singapore Airlines will be able to fly cargo services and so forth. But, you know, until the, like, things start to get improved, it's going to be very restrictive. Just as an example, like even people coming to Singapore, if you come to Singapore and you're a citizen or a permanent resident, you have to spend two weeks in quarantine. Um, as far as I'm aware, people that are not Singaporeans or permanent residents, residents are not allowed to come here right now. So it's a very restrictive set of requirements that we're facing. And um, the requirements vary all over the region as well. So it presents this complicated maze for anybody who's planning on organizing a trip. And those regions or, or markets that have begun opening up, China, obviously the domestic market, and we've also seen a bit around New Zealand and Australia. And, and New Zealand has been one of the, the first, I guess, which has begun opening up, resuming flights. Yeah, Air New Zealand has started some services. and um, But again, I think that the, the load factors are still relatively on the low side. Um, I saw something that they believe that they're not going to reach their 2019 size again for some years. I mean, they still feel that the airline is going to be come out of this in a very much smaller way than they went into this. But of course, you're also seeing some talk about potential travel bubbles. So the big, the most prominent one is Australia and New Zealand, where the two countries would work together and People would be able to fly back and forth to the two different countries, but they'd basically be excluding um, other countries like in Southeast Asia and um, North Asia. You also see China's having some select flights to Korea now for business people. Um, and then there's also been talk of an ASEAN travel bubble, you know, which would be your Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand. But I'm dubious about that taking off because the Efforts to maintain, you know, the health situation very in the different countries are all going very well or very poorly, depending on how you look at it. But I think the level of trust between these countries will take a very long time before you see a travel bubble forming. And for the airlines there, some Singapore Airlines obviously has secured its financing and, and actually is in quite a strong position. But for several airlines out there, it, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Oh, it's brutal. There's definitely a two columns, winners and losers right now. Like the big Chinese carriers are going to be okay. 
big Korean carriers should be fine. You know, they, they have access to funding. The Japanese carriers should be able to weather, you know, your ANAs, your JALs. Singapore Airlines, of course, they have the backing of the government and um, a very large, you know, fundraising. So they will, they will be fine. Qantas looks like it's in good shape. But then on the other hand, you have airlines such as, you know, Virgin Australia and uh, Thai Airways who are getting hard hit and many other airlines like that as well. And Thai Airways is having a, a lot of struggles. And of course, Thai wasn't in particular good health before this happened. Yeah, Thai has been losing money for years. And for some years, we've been reporting on a strategic plan, you know, buying new wide-body jets, uh, totally changing the strategy. And we've been reporting on that for years, but it, that plan never quite received approval. So to some degree, a lot of the, the problems that they've had were compounded by the coronavirus crisis. I mean, it's been very difficult for Thai. Now, they're still able to operate but they basically need to conduct a major restructuring of their organization. But their restructuring will have to be quite a deep surgical intervention to really get that airline anywhere near on a path to profitability. But of course, it's a national carrier. The government owns most of the stock in the company or is the biggest shareholder in the company. And um, it's going to be very difficult to see how this works out. There's a lot of political patronage around Thai. It's a very sensitive issue. And um, it's been allowed to kind of, you know, walk along like a zombie for so long. I don't really see the political will to really radically change that carrier. Greg, thank you very much. Thanks, Graham. Make sure you don't miss any episodes of the Airline Business Podcast by subscribing via your app of choice. The breaking developments over recent days is the news Latin America's biggest carrier, LATAM, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Joining me down the line from Flight Global's America's team is Pilar Wolfsteller. This is a pretty big development. When did this happen and, and why has it come to this? Hi, Graham. Yeah, LATAM filed for bankruptcy protection in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court of the Southern District of New York in the early morning hours uh, this past Tuesday, May 26th. The Chilean airline says that as the coronavirus has dragged on, the, its liquidity position has suffered. So they're really looking to buy time that will allow them to restructure their debt and prepare for the day when air travel across South America returns to, you know, some semblance of normalcy. In the filing, the problem is, again, like I said, the liquidity. In the filing, they said they have 320 aircraft, of which about 300 are under some kind of finance or operating lease. So nine are completely unencumbered. So with all of those leases and no income because nobody's flying, it's basically become really difficult for the airline to pay its outstanding bills. They also said they'll be cutting 19 lease jets immediately, including six long-haul jets. So it's a bunch of issues that, you know, are all coming together right now. And they just want to, you know, rid themselves of some of the unnecessary aircraft that they're they're going to be carrying around with them. So 10 of the jets that they're going to be cutting from the fleet are Chilean registered and the other nine are Brazilian. And the LATAM filing, of course, isn't the first in the region. And obviously Avianca was forced into similar action. What's the situation with Avianca now? Indeed, a very similar situation to LATAM. Uh, Avianca filed for Chapter 11 on May 10th, also in the Southern District of New York. The airline also said it, this, it, the move was necessary to give, given the unpredictable impact of the coronavirus on its operations. It says the measure is intended to preserve the business and uh, it will continue to operate and serve the customers during the process. Avianca was already a little bit on the ropes even before the coronavirus struck. Uh, last year, a new executive team was brought in led by the Dutchman Enko van der Werf. Who's a very experienced airline manager who was working at airlines on three different continents to try and turn the Colombian carrier around. 
they implemented a program called Avianca 2021. And this is designed to give the world's oldest airline uh, just a new lease on life. And uh, as part of it, they canceled a bunch of Airbus orders. They're implementing a number of other cost-saving measures to become more efficient and leaner in the face of increasing competition from some of its neighboring carriers. So yes, Avianca has, is facing the same kind of situation as LATAM. And um, they're basically buying themselves time to reorganize and figure out what the new normal is going to be for them. There have been relatively few casualties or severe restructurings undertaken around the world, but um, we're seeing two very prominent Latin American carriers where it's happening. Why are carriers in the region being hit so hard? So I think there are two main reasons for this. The first is that at the moment, there is still no government support, similar to in the United States, uh, the introduction of the CARES Act, which was a government legislation that is supporting airlines and other businesses, aviation-related businesses, to try and manage at least partially uh, through the crisis, support payrolls, and make sure none of the airport employees are furloughed or laid off, at least for a certain period of time. Canada has a similar scheme, payroll support program. One analyst told me this week that in South America, the governments do understand the importance of giving support to the industry, but Latin America is also dealing with a bunch of macroeconomic situations. It's a poor region, and it's very hard to explain to the respective populations that the government will need to support a private company, even if that company is providing a public service. So he told me that's a really difficult conversation to have, and you know, it's they've kind of missed the moment. And if any any support is going to be coming, it will be coming very, very late in the game for many of these carriers. As we know, in Europe, France, the Netherlands, Germany, some other countries have stepped in to rescue their national carriers. But in South America, that seems to be a bit lagging behind. A second reason is that the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the entire continent has larger macroeconomic issues. Um, populations are also struggling. Before all this happened, low-cost carriers were beginning to storm the continent, offering crazy deals, you know, the $1 fares and such, just to get people flying and just to see that it's an affordable and a viable means of transportation. As the middle class grows and has more discretionary income to spend, these people were taking trips to places that they never thought they could visit or fly by air where perhaps before they would have taken a multi-day bus journey. But of course, the coronavirus has put an end to all of this, and uh, many of those people have lost their jobs and their incomes. So flying once again slips a little bit out of reach for those people. So the analyst told me that in addition to government support for the airlines, authorities have to maybe step in to ensure that flight tickets are affordable for a larger swath of the population, maybe get rid of taxes and fees, just to encourage and, and you know prompt demand again when all of this is over. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel, any positive sign for uh, signs for operators in Latin America? Well, it does look like many of the airlines are starting to expand their networks again in June and July. The outlier is Argentina, which has basically suspended most air travel until September. You have to remember that about 80% of the region's air traffic came to a complete standstill in a place where, as I mentioned, due to the vast distances between the population centers and the cities, and the lack of ground-based infrastructure networks. There are buses, but not very many trains, you know, to get people around. You know, the air, air travel sector has become an essential part of everyday life. And also for the economic well-being of the countries where, you know, millions of people are employed in this sector. 
So IATA, the trade organization, called upon the countries to work together to reopen the continent for air travel. Um, and they've also developed a plan to help them think through what it will be required to start up the functioning industry again. Um, but it does say that the that the sector will probably restart more slowly than most of the region's economies. Their restart plan calls for you know expanded use of technologies like electronic boarding passes, mobile check-in, you know home baggage tagging, uh, some biometric screening. So basically, things that can reduce person-to-person -person direct interactions, just so that the, the travelers can feel like they are traveling in a safe space. So it remains to be seen if these measures are enough to encourage the public to fly again, and even what the continent's airlines will look like when we get to the other side of this crisis. I think South America is, uh, is one of the regions that is suffering most from the coronavirus, and I think it's not over there yet. They're, they're still, the trajectory of the cases are rising. You know, the people are, are also, like I said, very reluctant to travel. They have lost incomes. They're not able to travel. So it's going to be quite a while for Latin America to bounce back off of this one. Pilar, thank you for your time. Thanks, Graham. So that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we have referenced, including Pilar's analysis of the challenges in the Latin American market, in the podcast notes. And you can keep up to date with all the latest on how airlines are dealing with the crisis at flightglobal.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you again next time.